Did you get my fancy football invite? Let me look. Oh, jeez. Hold on. I'm looking. <laughs> oh, bother. I'm still... I haven't had a chance to look at my email. When did you send it? August? Oh, oh there it is. You're invited to play ESPN Fantasy Football. Tim go. Shaw. Oh, that's you. Yes, Tim Shaw is, in fact, Tim Shaw. No, I thought it was my buddy I know it, invited me to his fantasy football that I already said no to. I, say, I know it gets confusing because sometimes Aaron gets confused about which Tim is which. Right. Ooh, and it has a video. Never played fantasy football before? And don't click that video, Paul. Well, I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> hey, Tim, what's the buy-in? There's no money. It's $900. We're just playing a free league. It's just for bragging rights. All right, I'll take a look at it. Yeah, I might, I might offer, I might offer the winner a, a five-minute victory speech on Funny Books. Nine hundred dollars, Paul. I figure I could swing that. I have enough clout around here. If you'll just send me a check made out to cash, <laughs> we'll get you hooked in. It's free for everybody else, but Paul, you got to pay two hundred. <laughs> yeah, Paul, you, you got to send it to me. And, money uh, order. If you win, you get your money back. That's what, <laughs> no, I'm not that big a dick. No, he gets a t-shirt. It's <laughs> <laughs> a t-shirt. It's really more of an undershirt, and it's a little used. But uh, I'm gonna have your fancy. And he has to pay twenty five ninety nine for shipping and handling. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you wow. will. Ha- I will have written in marks a lot. I won fantasy footballs with a Z. Yeah, <laughs> I won the fantasy footballs. Go me. And on the back, it'll have the uh, the website for the countdown clock. I don't want to win this contest. Oh, you're gonna win. Go ahead and write that check. <laughs> Aaron, you didn't read Superman number 12? Fuck no, and fuck you for asking. I'm Aaron. I'm Paul. This is Wayne. How the fuck did I get last billing again? I don't know. I guess maybe it's because that Andrew guy didn't show up today. No, 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 no. Wayne, Wayne, jump, Wayne jumped the ship. <laughs> I don't know. He's foremost on my mind. I, I don't uh-huh. understand how Andrew could miss work this often and not be on a corrective action. I think that we should probably write him up. I think we should. See, I, I'm willing to give him a little bit more leniency just because, you know, at Fear the Con, he gave me a Scarlet Spider action figure. He bought my loyalty, and that figure was used as the model when my wife made me the, my birthday present for this week, a, uh, a, a homemade Scarlet Spider hoodie. Now, so, did you make it, you know, s- small, you know, like action figure sized? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not as pinky. It's a finger puppet. It's a finger puppet. I like it. <laughs> Full size with, uh, you know, sewn in red sleeves under the uh, the cut off, you know, cut off sleeves. So it looks like there's a red shirt on under it. And, you know, it's she, I said she used the, the figure that Andrew bought me for that. So 
I have to give him a little more slack. He's he still bought my loyalty for a little bit longer. Now, you know, I, I, I still have issues here. And I wish Andrew was here to call the task on this. Now, Andrew lives in Missouri. And and Wayne, you've lived in Missouri all your life, right? Yes. Um, a friend would have told their friend that the Missouri side is the place to be in Kansas City, not the Kansas side. And would have preferably told them that, you know, before they were murdered in the, in the mean streets of Kansas City. Just were saying. you murdered this week? I was very nearly murdered. Very nearly murdered. Very it, nearly murdered. If I had realized that you were going to Kansas City, I would have warned you of that. Well, I'm, I, uh, wow. I was, uh, it was uh, a gruesome experience. Let me just say. Uh, it was like the zombie apocalypse out there. It really was. You know, I, I spent the week in Kansas, and I started off in Wichita. And I got to tell you, I, I didn't meet a single stranger the entire time I was in Wichita. The people of, of Wichita, the Wichitans, perhaps is what they're called, nicest people on the planet. I the can, Wichitontons? Wichitontons. I like it. Um, nicest people on the planet. I mean, if Smallville is anything like Wichita, I understand how pre-New 52 Clark Kent grew up the way he did because nicest people you've ever you've ever met. Kansas City, I, I, I'm lucky I didn't get shivved in the shower. I mean, it was uh, – I, I didn't – I'm serious. I didn't meet a single person worth meeting the entire time I was in Kansas City. Uh, they're they're all just each one of them an awful person. In fact, <laughs> on uh, my my last evening there, this jackass parks so close to my car I cannot open my car door to get in. I have to get in on the passenger side to get into the car, and I've had enough, Paul. <laughs> now, typically, my go to move. And my car here at home is I keep a a little pad of paper that is stationary from one of my wife's former jobs. And, you know, she used to work for, for an organization called Keller Williams. And so anytime somebody does something to upset me, I will leave them a tersely worded message on this stationary and sign it, your friends at Keller Williams. I didn't have such a pad of paper with me. So I tore off a piece of trim from this guy's truck. And then got in my car and left. <laughs> wow. See, I, I'm partial to the note on the windshield that says, if you, uh, if you fuck like you park, I feel sorry for your woman. <laughs> nice. Nice. Classy. <laughs> short of that, you could have just pooped on his hood. Just you know, I, if, if, I, if I had had one on deck, that might have been an option because I was – God, I was pissed. I, 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 t- I tend not to do things like that. Because I did once, and it resulted in tragedy. <laughs> did you get your ass kicked? I, I threw a piece of gum in someone's window, uh-huh. and it got stuck on their diploma. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how that's bad. Yeah, I was expecting a story where you you did something to the car, and the person walked out while you were still doing it. No, the, the repercussions of ruining their diploma were, were, were the tragedy, not ruining their diploma. <laughs> I was uh, driving across town with my wife one day, and this guy cuts me off as I'm as I'm going across the intersection. And so, as I'm passing him, I may 
may have shot him the bird. There, and, there's a rumor. Yeah, I may have. I, I, I neither am confirming nor denying that that occurred. However, a gesture was made. And uh, it's probably important at this point that I you know, describe the fact that he's in this gigantic truck hauling yard equipment and whatnot. And he hauls around and gets <laughs> right up in front of me and slams on his brakes and boxes me in. Oh. And so he and I are both stopped on the street. And he gets out of his truck, gigantic man, and picks up some kind of, of club item from the back of his truck and starts coming towards me. So, you know, I'm looking down, and my wife thinks I'm going for my seatbelt. And she's like, don't get out of the car. And I'm like, no, no, I'm flipping the car into reverse. <laughs> and so I put the, throw the car in reverse, and I, and I wheel around his car before he can make it to, to mine because, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not getting out of the car and, and, and fighting this guy because he was gigantic. So what does he do? He throws this piece of yard equipment at my car and hits my windshield and just you know spider cracks the the, the windshield. Hops in his car and is he hops in his truck and is back chasing me, chasing me through town. And so I start driving towards the police station. And when he realizes that oh that's the police station right there as I'm pulling into the parking lot, he peels off the other direction. Now here's the stupid thing he did. He stayed where where in my rear view the entire time. So my wife is is taking pictures with her cell phone and getting his license plate, and we called it in and he got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> you instigated it and ruined this man's life. I did not say that I instigated. It. I'm <laughs> See, just saying that there might have been a gesture. I don't have any fun stories like that. I've never done anything destructive to another car. I've never instigated road rage that I know of. The only car-related story I've got was uh, I was out of town on vacation once, and I got incredibly – No. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> so I got incredibly sick. So I'm like, uh, pull the car over. And I, I get out of the car. I go over to the edge of the uh, the road, and I start puking. And then I glance down and realize I'm on an overpass, and there are cars that are dodging the puke as it falls down onto the, you know, highway below me. That seems that, awfully irresponsible, Wayne. Grossly irresponsible. <laughs> Fourteen people died that day. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Final Destination six. <laughs> and In one 3D. person had. Fourteen people died, and one person had to go to the car wash. <laughs> You know, that was almost as irresponsible as my use of my press credentials this week. Oh, God, what did you do, Paul? So anyone who knows me knows that Halloween is my favorite holiday. I, you know, or, Paul, I did not know that about you. Well, anyone who knows and cares about me knows <laughs> oh, that Halloween so is my favorite holiday. <laughs> I knew it was your favorite holiday, and I don't care about you. <laughs> well played, Wayne. I quit this podcast. <laughs> um, Finish your story first. So I found this week pumpkin face rum. from uh, you can And you can see pictures of it at pumpkinfacerum.com. I, I saw somebody had that in their Instagram feed just like this morning. It wasn't me. Okay. So it's a thing. Okay, go. The thing, yeah, pumpkin face rum. It's a real thing. And so I, I emailed the company and I said, hey, I'm Paul. I write for Ideology of Madness. Uh, we talk about comic books and role-playing games. You should send us some free rum. 
<laughs> and I, I have not heard back as of yet. I, I don't know if they're going to bite, but I mean, it seems like the audience would be the same. Well, yeah, clearly. I, right. I have to say, those bottles look awesome, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, I'm and hoping you know they I'm send s- me a bottle of the uh, age twenty three years one. Well, you know, and I know that you really like the Kraken rum. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually seen TV commercials for it lately. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It blows my mind. You know, I, I, uh, when I was coming back from Kansas this week, I upgraded the first class. Uh, and, you know, I've never flown first class before in my life. Um, it's a whole different world up there. I don't know if anybody knew that or not, but uh, they have their own in-flight magazine for, quote, premium customers. Really? It, yeah, it's not the uh, it's not the American way that you're used to back in coach. It's you know a whole thing about you know luxury items and uh, I stole the magazine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you steal the the towels and the seat? <laughs> I almost took the blanket with me. But you know I'm I'm up there and you know when you're in coach they'll give you the 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 little you know sippy cup of uh, soda or whatever that you get you know as your complimentary beverage. And not only did they give me the full can of Diet Coke, they came back and gave me another can of Diet Coke. I, it's a whole different world up there, Paul. In fact, at one point, the uh, the flight attendant was coming by and she goes, do you need anything? And I, and I gestured back to the little drape that hangs between uh, uh, coach and first class. And I said, shouldn't that be drawn? I think they can see up here. <laughs> 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 so you know how a couple weeks ago we were talking about the uh, the Kickstarter for the Honey Badger barbecue sauce? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It is fully funded now. Is it really? I will be getting uh, Honey Badger barbecue sauce and that really awesome bottle of the you know the Honey Badger fighting the snake. Hey, maybe maybe our talk about it on the podcast is what got it fully funded. It put them right over the top. Yeah, that's what it did. Honey Badger barbecue sauce and pumpkin face rum. Our, Just saying. Our tens of listeners really made that move. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, with those two bottles, I would uh, af- both of them after use, I would set them up on a shelf somewhere. I would, and then eventually. But you know what? All this cool stuff that I see, eventually, I'm going to be on collection intervention. <laughs> and hoard. my wife started watching that show. And hoard. oh, Aaron, have you seen it? Collection intervention. Yes. Not. I didn't even it know is- it was a thing. It is a new show on Sci-Fi Channel. Oh God! Where it, it's like it's like Intervention, but it's all about people collecting toys and comic books and stuff like that, and that have gotten that have taken over their house. Yeah, like, I told like my the, wife I would watch the show because I would end up yelling at the people trying to do the intervention. Just let him have his collection. Is it much like your Superman collection, Paul? Well, my Superman collection is only seven items, whereas last it's week they had a guy. It's taking over your life, Too much. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had a guy with 60,000 Hot Wheels cars, so. I don't see the difference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, be, I have been bidding irresponsibly on eBay this week. Oh, no. This is the downside of sitting in your hotel room with wireless internet and nothing to do. Uh, I am hoping other people outbid me on some things. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just word of warning. Uh-huh. Don't install the eBay app on your phone. <laughs> Don't Too ever late. install the eBay app on your phone. Too late, perhaps. 
<laughs> I'm uh, like, I remember back in the days where I was doing eBay, I would buy, I would bid on the same item in multiple bids, expecting to be, you know, outbid on at least one of them. Mm-hmm. And yes, on at least one occasion, I ended up winning both. Yeah, I, uh, I it, the 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 Green Lantern first flight maquette seemed like a good idea at about midnight Tuesday. <laughs> it's seeming less like a good idea right now. <laughs> how much how much are you paying for that maquette? Uh, not a whole lot. I think it's forty some dollars. But I'm just like I don't really want it all that. Much. I don't know. I don't know why I got excited about it. But the more I look at it, I'm like I don't think I really want that. Uh, so, so please, somebody go out bid me on that. Aaron, that's almost as ridiculous as having six titles that you work on canceled in one year. How could that possibly happen? Well, it happened to Rob Liefeld. No, no, you say. Actually, I, I, I should correct my, my statement. He's only had two titles canceled. Um, the one he did with Robert Kirkman. Which yes, and that no was one, because he couldn't draw feet. Yeah, and um, Hawk and Dove. Well, that's the rest of them so hard. <laughs> the rest of them, he just quit. Yeah, because um, that's why he's a quitter. Yeah, he's a quitter. That's, so that's Rob what... Liefeld has quit the new Fifty Two, um, rather publicly, <laughs> this week. Was it because somebody asked him to draw feet? Uh, no, apparently it's it's the same old uh, complaint we're hearing out of DC right now, which is editorial mandate. Um, you know, it's the reason George Perez left Superman. You know, basically, DC wants to keep their their top writers happy and doesn't really care so much about the Yes Men. So, you know, for example, George Perez quit because he kept having. You know, he would plan a story, it would get approved. Grant Morrison would write something that contradicted it, and yep. George Perez would have to go in and change things last yeah. minute. Wait, George, wait, wait. George Perez when is did, a better writer. When did George far. Lopez work for? When did George Lopez work for DC? <laughs> sometime after his know. show got. Sometime after his show ended. Yeah, I bet he's a better writer than Grant Morrison as well. Yeah, it, it was. It's a shame that DC has had some fantastic talent. Uh, Rob Liefeld notwithstanding. I was um, about to say, what are we talking about? <laughs> has had some fantastic talent, and they're just not letting them do their thing. I mean, I don't know why you would have George Perez working on one of your books and not allow him to do whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yeah, I think I the mean, same thing with Dan Jurgens is running yeah. Superman. I think he was kneecapped, basically. Oh, no, yeah, he, absolutely. We've read good Dan Jurgens Superman stories. We've read a lot of them. Yeah. This was not his good Superman story, and I I think it probably is the same thing. They put him over there, and then they you know told him basically you have to go along with what's already been put up, put out by Grant Morrison. Yep. Well, the and I reason, don't think that's what it's. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say the reason you're bringing in George Lopez, Aaron, is to bring in the Latin market. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, and it fits because you know Superman's an immigrant. And you know the George Lopez, an illegal yeah. immigrant, <laughs> undocumented. Right, right. No green card for Superman. That's right. He, he's got a fake birth certificate. Um, versus pre, I say versus pre do fifty two where he was an anchor baby. <laughs> you know, and with with Liefeld, one of the examples he gives what he gives because that's a word. You speak really. Um, I speak of the, one of the examples he gives um, is with Anne Nacenti, the uh, the new writer for Green Arrow. You know, they wanted to bring Anne Nacenti in, and Rob Liefeld already had a storyline approved for Green Arrow. They, 
No, he had storyline approved, I think, for Hawkman. Okay. And um, the Green Arrow storyline contradicted. And because they, you know, Anna Sinti, they want to keep her happy, they just brought her in. Yeah. Um, they went with Anna Sinti and basically made Rob Liefeld make the changes last minute. And, you know, apparently that just kept happening. And, you know, I, 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 I get it, I guess. You know, they're, they're trying to avoid contradictory Which I interpretations. Yeah, I appreciate you know. the continuity. But, yeah, since they haven't cared about it until now. Yeah, yeah, but they seem to be caring about it in the new Fifty Two at least. You know mm-hmm. that books don't contradict each other, um, which I'm okay with. I just, you know what? Honestly, I'm okay with Rob Liefeld quitting the oh, new Fifty Two. Oh fuck yeah! Too. But you know, I, he's not writing anything I cared about anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to read Grifter. In fact, I'm every time somebody says that there's a Grifter comic out there, I'm like, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, I might actually pick up an issue of Grifter after they finish the zero issues. Because Voodoo, since her title is canceled, is going over to Grifter. And with uh, a life field gone, I might give it a shot. Now, what I, I heard Paul say something that I'm suddenly very interested in. I hadn't heard that Anne Nascenti was going over to Green Arrow. Yeah, she started with, I believe, issue eight. I may have to pick that shit up. I like Anne Nascenti. I don't even know who Anne Nascenti is. Well, she's well, Anne. She writes Green Arrow. Right, she's Anne Nascenti. <laughs> she used to write a lot for uh, Marvel, and I can't remember which title all of a sudden, but... Uh, uh, I remember having really enjoyed her work. She wrote for Marvel. I don't know which title, so it obviously made a huge impact. It made a gigantic impact. I want to say she was writing stuff like – I'm going to look it up real quick because uh, – Aaron Head, super fan. A a great fan. No, but I I know that she was writing stuff that I liked. I want to say like X-Men. Oh, Daredevil. Oh, yeah, that's right. She did write Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. So So is Grifter a story about railroad hobos? It is. But you know what the sad thing about mm. Grifter is? If I it was, excited. I would have been picky up yeah. at issue okay. one. Okay, so uh, Tim. Yeah. She wrote uh, she, she wrote uh, uh, The Avengers, and this will uh, this will get Wayne with Roger Stern. Um, she wrote an ass ton of the X-Men, which is where I know her from. She wrote a lot of Spider-Man, wrote a fuck ton of Daredevil. Um, she wrote, oh gosh, uh... For other publishers, she wrote Kid Eternity, issues 1 through 16 over at Vertigo. She wrote uh, Batman, Gotham Knights, Batman and Poison Ivy, Batman and Catwoman. And she started with issue 7 on Green Arrow. Ah. Yeah, I think that's the same issue Dan Jurgen started on Superman. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so... I may have to check that out. You know, I've been off Green Arrow because I hated the first issue so much. Yeah. Well, and you know what the sad thing is? Grifter... The, we were talking about Grifter, and you know, hey, it sounds like a crappy title. But the first storyline was written by uh, before Liefeld took it over by Nathan Edmondson, who's the guy who wrote uh, who is Jake Ellis. Right. I mean, I haven't read it. I didn't like the first issue, but I mean, I like the I like the writer. My problem is I don't like Grifter. Yeah, I don't like any of the Wildstorm characters really. Though, Gen thirteen. Though you know, I the I, I did enjoy him in Flashpoint. And I reread all of Flashpoint while I was out of town this week. I, you know the the miniseries and the Batman story. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you that that cross that uh, event book really holds up. It reads very well in one sitting. Yeah, I was thinking about picking the Flashpoint up in like the hardcover this week. Uh-huh. I've just been in the mood to read it again, especially yeah. since um, you know after the Dark Knight Returns animated double f- animated films that mm-hmm. DC is doing, they're going to do a Flashpoint animated film. Ooh, yeah. And uh, you know th- they already that leaked because Kevin Conroy 
I was in an interview and he's like, Oh, I'm doing the voice for Batman and flashpoint. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, you yeah. know, interpretation of it. Cause I really, I, I actually really enjoyed flashpoint as a story. Well, you know, I picked up this week, the trade paperback that collects the Batman night of vengeance story, which is that three issue Batman flashpoint story that we all loved so much. Mm-hmm. And, I picked it up because I was talking to somebody online about Flashpoint and what a good Batman story that was, and I just got myself all sold on it. And so I, I picked it up this week and read it digitally. Uh, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that the event has has held so well with me. And it's nice to read it after a year of New Fifty Two because you know you do get to see that last page where you've got the Pandora. You know, yeah. who's correcting the timelines as uh, Flash is running. So, you know, and we all know that's going to, you know, land somewhere in the new 52. <laughs> Stomp. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I, I I do recommend the Flashpoint miniseries. The core title, the core title, the Grodd one shot and Batman Night of Vengeance. That's all I can recommend from it. Uh-huh. The rest of it is crap. <laughs> no, the rest of it started started off well enough. And ended as crap. And if you and end it, as crap, you are, in fact, crap. Uh, the the one first part issue I did of like... World of Flashpoints, one of the, my favorite books of last year, it's just the rest of the miniseries that wasn't very good. Crap. The, uh, that... the, one, the one part I actually liked about Rob Liefeld quitting is he did my move. He did the Scorched Earth policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would subscribe to it thoroughly. I recommend everybody when they decide to quit their job, uh, go to Twitter and blast their editor and their, you know, <laughs> and the person that writes their check. Yeah. Well, you know, on the bright side of things, at least he won't be back until Dan DiDio and Tom Brevoort <laughs> leave DC Comics. Tom Brevoort doesn't work at DC Comics. Oh yeah, Tom Brevoort works at Marvel. Yeah, sorry. Come on, Paul. Well, now your head complaining. out of your ass. Well, you know, and now he's arguing with Tom Brevoort on Twitter. Well, so. it's he left Marvel pretty ugly as well. You know, I, there's a reason why certain people work for themselves, and it's because they can't work with other people. And I think Rob Liefeld's one of those kind of guys. That's the reason why he had to go off to Image. And, you know, he didn't quite do so well with Mr. Kirkman. And, uh, you know, the, the Rob Liefeld, yeah, you're talking about scorched earth policy. Here's a... I'm going to read a, a Twitter conversation. So Dennis Hoffman, whoever that is, sends a tweet to Rob Liefeld. I'm not one to bash, but I was reading Grifter in spite of Clark's art. He just doesn't do it for you. And I'm assuming he's talking about Matthew Clark, maybe, or Scott Clark. Rob Liefeld Clark responded. Kent. Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Rob Liefeld says, tell me about it. I had to work with that crap. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. wow. That is the ultimate dick What move. an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, he really is. What an asshole. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, and, you know, you know, that is guy, just inexcusable. Here's I mean, the guy who can't draw feet and he's calling calling shit on other people. Yeah. I mean, because when he was doing the thing with I – I, I forget the name of the book with Kirkman. Uh, yeah, none of us the, do. <laughs> the Infinite? Remember. Is that what it was? The Infinite? That's what it was. The Infinite. Um, when he was doing The Infinite, he wasn't even doing his own finishes on that book. I mean, he was just kind of outlining stuff, you know, and having his assistants finish it, which is what Kirkman was complaining about. That, yeah, you know, when you he hired, wanted a, he wanted Rob actual Liefeld. Rob Liefeld art, you know. We, so. we still don't understand why, but. Yeah, no, I don't get that either. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. 
Uh, yeah, well, let's. It seems like Brew Baker is leaving Marvel a little more, still, you know, elegantly with a little bit class. And I would little, expect that from Ed Brew Baker. He's a classy guy. He has a hat. He has a fedora. He so has, I mean, he has a hat. And you know, we all know that guys who wear hats are just better people. They're just classy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you know, he uh, he he was writing Winter Soldier, and he was writing uh, Captain America. You know, in addition to his creator-owned stuff, um, but yeah, he uh, he is uh, stepping away, and which surprises me because Winter Soldier really seemed to be his baby. Yeah, I think that you know, I think he was planning on leaving Winter Soldier anyway. You know, he says he was going to stay on it, um, but it sounded like the sales just weren't there. Are they canceling and, it? Well, here's what happened: it sounded like they were going to cancel it around issue fourteen and fifteen, but the sales picked up. When the second Captain America movie was announced, and the subtitle was Winter Soldier. Soldier. Uh, but Ed Brubaker had already planned it on the end of his storyline for issues 14 or, you know, around issue 14 or 15. Um, so he's still leaving, and he's going to be, it, it sounds like he might have some, uh, some TV and or movie work in his future. Right. Um, as well as creator own titles like Fatal. Right. So, I mean, he's going to be busy, and I think that's good. I think, um, you know, I think I know you guys like Winter Soldier, but I think Brew Baker's time with Marvel, you know, I think it was definitely ready to come I, to an end. I think Brew Baker is very much a creator-owned kind of guy. I mean, I think he is somebody who really is cut out to write his own stuff versus writing company stuff. Don't get me wrong; he's done a beautiful job with you know Captain America and reinventing that character. Um, I will be very surprised if he is not in the room for the Winter Soldier movie. I, I would be very surprised if he's not consulting on that film. Yeah, which you could know, be see, why he's leaving. You know, to yeah. spend more time on that. See, I haven't, uh, I haven't been a big fan of his creator own stuff, but for me, he'll be the man. He'll always be the man that made me care about Captain America mm-hmm. because I was never a Captain America fan until I got into his run. And he really made me care about the character to the point that I consider myself a Captain America fan now at this point. And it's all his writing that did it. I, and I would absolutely agree. I think that he he is a writer who successfully made Captain America relevant in our modern setting. Um, I think a lot of writers have trouble with that whole man out of time piece with Captain America that Ed Brubaker is very comfortable with. He's very comfortable telling you a story set in World War II. He's very comfortable telling you a story set today. And that has worked very well in his Captain America run. I think that I, I enjoyed Brubaker's work on Captain America up to the return of Captain America, which we talked about, you know, the Brian Hitch book, the Captain America reborn. Right. You know, up oh, until that then, was a horrible book. Yeah. Up until then, I really enjoyed Brubaker's work on Captain America, but I got to say it doesn't hold a candle to the work he does on criminal and, um, incognito mm-hmm. and fatal. I just think those books are stellar books. No, have they announced who's going to do Winter Soldier after he leaves? They have. Um, I don't remember the guy's name. Oh, that guy. Yeah, oh, that guy. Well, see, being a solutions-oriented no. guy, I think we should get our buddy George Lopez a job over at Winter Soldier. <laughs> I have this image of Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier showing up and shooting a pinata for somebody's quinceanera party. I like Can it. we do it, this? It is Jason Latour. 
I have no okay, that's not George Lopez. No, oh, no. He wrote Untold Tales of Punisher Max and 12 Gauges Loose Ends. And he picks up with Winter Soldier number 14. Mm. So, mm. sorry. George Lopez, uh, I, I guess he's still sticking with his stand-up routine. Opportunity lost. Yeah. So, speaking of opportunities lost, Aaron, or opportunities gained, really, I recently sent Aaron a couple of issues of Justice League Dark in the mail. Um, the not not the crappy first nine issues, <laughs> but uh, you know, starting I, I believe with issue ten, maybe when Jeff Lemire took over the book. Yes, I sent him a couple of issues to to give and, a read, and I believe that's pronounced Je- uh, Jeff Lemire. Jeff Lemire, correct. Sorry about that. Um, sorry, Jeff. But and, uh, and it was with issue nine when uh, Mister Lemire took over. Okay, so. Aaron, uh, apparently you liked them enough to pick up issue 12 this week. Yeah, you know, I, I read uh, 9, 10, and 11, and uh, then picked up issue 12 this week. Uh, I was surprised at how much I liked it. I, yeah. uh, I, it's, I haven't read a lot of Constantine, um, but he seems very different from his Vertigo book. Am, am I getting that correct, or do I have a, a misinterpretation of the John Constantine character? I gotta be honest, I can't tell you because you've not um, read much of the Vertigo title. I have read, I think I've read issue one <laughs> of Hellblazer, yeah. and that's about it. Um, he seems different to me. I, again, I've not read a whole lot of it, but if if they weren't continuing to call him John Constantine, I never would have known it was him. I mean, that that's how different he seemed to me. Um, but I, I think that the differences work. I I have to say, you know, one of the things that I found very compelling about the story was setting uh, and, you know, having this whole story wrap around the black room. And, you know, I know you and Andrew talked about this in, in an earlier show, but, you know, the black room is where the U.S. government keeps all of their uh, magical artifacts that they collect, you know, kind of like, you know, the Lost Ark and, and Raiders. You know, it's the big warehouse room where all this crap goes. And so that just seems fun, you know, and, and so I, I, I've kind of dug that part of the team is dead man. And, you know, Boston Brand is just not a character I've ever really been interested in. Really? Yeah, I just – I'm not a big Boston Brand fan, but I like his portrayal in this book. You know? Yeah, I've I've actually always liked Dead Man. I don't know why. I can't place my finger on it exactly. Uh But I've always enjoyed the character. But uh, I think that it's kind of hard to do a mystical, supernatural team book. And Jeff Lemire has done an excellent job of putting these guys together, you know, and, and they're all dysfunctional. They are – there's almost a Thunderbolts kind of feel to it. And I was I was thinking the same thing. Thunderbolts when Jeff Parker first started on yeah. it, you know, because, you know, he had Swamp Thing as – or not Swamp Thing, Man Thing as their teleporter. Right. And in this book, they have the House of Mystery yeah. <laughs> as their as their travel device i just i i really love that well the book. and i love that the house of mystery you know you, you get the feeling that the house of mystery is going to become kind of like their clubhouse mm-hmm. you know it's going to be the place that they go to for their meetings and that kind of thing um i i dig it i i think the book is great it's beautifully drawn um 
they managed to have Zaytana in these pages without it being a cheesecake fest, which, you know, I'm on the fence about. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the artwork by uh, Michael Jannon is just fantastic in this book. You know, he, do, oh, he, know. he does a really good job of bringing the creepy in and making you feel the power of all this magic. I love how, you know, they've, they've described the uh, – the, uh, how the, 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 the maps work – to the the books of magic, you know, which is what they're they're seeking out in these uh, uh, first couple of issues. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I'm with you. And anyone who's a fan of '90s Vertigo and Neil Gaiman, pick up this book because you've got the books of magic, you've got House of Secrets and House of Mystery, you've got John Constantine. I mean, this is essentially all the good stuff about '90s Vertigo, mm-hmm. but you know in the DC universe with a little bit of a super, a superhero spin to it. Um, and I, I just, I enjoy it. I, I, it's, it's different than any other book on the market right now. And it's got black briar thorn in it. Yes. DC's low rent version of a uh, tree beard. So yeah. it's just a very imaginative book. And, uh, and I, I, I'm definitely enjoying what Jeff Lemire is doing with it. And I like that, uh, you know, it's got Steve Trevor in it. So it's tying in with, Justice League and the DC Zero issue and all that. And we get to see Dr. Occult get his ass handed to him. Which he really deserved. <laughs> <laughs> no, Because was he good. wasn't wearing a hat. I uh, He was too wearing a hat. Uh, was he? He was too. God. Talk not after his ass, ass Paul. <laughs> not no. after his ass got kicked. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. You know who else wore a hat this week? Who else wore a hat this week, Paul? Did Dr. Manhattan wear a hat this week? I don't know. I well, you read the book. Think so. I don't recall seeing him wear a hat. Mm. It's an awful transition, Paul. Yeah, yeah pretty, I'm flipping through, bad. and I don't think there's a hat in this entire book. God, it is Paul. hatless. There's not a single hat in that book. It's yeah. a, it, it is a hat-free zone. Yeah, I don't see a single hat in this book, Paul. Huh. Well, I, I wouldn't know because I didn't read that piece of crap. Aaron, can we fire Paul and get George Lopez to bring the Latin? I, I think maybe we need to, because uh, you know Paul is our uh, you know Latin Latino representative. It really isn't represent Anne well. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I was being all street with you, Paul. Uh, That's why we need somebody, Paul. We're all really, really white. <laughs> okay, so uh, including uh, you, you're far too white, Paul. Side. Talk about <laughs> talk about Doctor Manhattan. I, uh, Let's talk about somebody who's blue. And Wayne, you read this? Yeah, I I'm kind of conflicted. Like it was okay, but the last page really got me interested. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good time travel story, right? And that's what this is going to be essentially. I get the impression this entire this miniseries is going to be time travel story. At least after that last page. Yeah. So the rest of it was the typical him jumping around to different points of his life. Hard to read because of that. But little bits of interesting here and there until the last page. And then now I'm hooked. Yeah. So I'm going to get issue two. I, I think the, the book very uh, expertly navigated Dr. Manhattan. I mean, yeah, we were all speculating, you know, what exactly kind of story are they going to tell? In a you know prequel for Doctor Manhattan, and the there's a lot of navel gazing going on in this book, and 
Straczynski, and I know we've been critical of him since his uh, Superman Grounded storyline, but he does a, a, a masterful job of writing about the science That's around right. Dr. Dr. Manhattan, Manhattan doesn't walk across the U.S. He walks across time. <laughs> um, I, I, and he, Mars. I thought, you know, he, he talks a lot about quantum theory in this book. And I thought he did a really good job of making it readable and understandable and interesting and asking questions that make you that make you want to do what Dr. Manhattan's doing, make you want to pull at some threads. And I really dug it. You know, it, it, it retold his origin without feeling like we were retreading something. And it did what a first issue needs to do. It kind of promises the questions that are going to be asked and answered, hopefully. And it made you want to buy issue two. Yeah, my I, I, o- my only real complaint now is that after Paul asked about hats and I went through looking for hats, there are no I hats. No- there are no hats. <gasps> oh, there is but one. But I noticed I noticed blue dong. I didn't notice it the first time I read. I flipped through because I'm reading the words and I'm not looking at the crotch. But when I when I look for hats, I find blue dong. There is an appearance of four hats in this book. Rorschach. Uh huh. It's all Rorschach, and there's four panels with him wearing a hat. So there you go. But anyway, I, I dug the book. I'm, I'm in for number two. So you go to hell, Paul. Anyway, I, I, I am pleasantly surprised at how uh, before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan turned out. I'm, I'm eager for issue two. So far, the only uh, before Watchmen book I'm not happy with is Rorschach. Uh, uh, are you picking up issue two of Rorschach? Or am I the only yeah. one? No, I'm picking it up. Uh, okay. Well, I think the real question in everyone's minds is, are you picking up issue two of Rocketeer Cargo of Doom? Fuck the yeah. Oh, my God, this book is so good. This book is great. I love this book. So, uh, Rocketeer, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, character created in the 80s by Dave Stevens. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Dave Stevens has passed away, but IDW has the rights to publish new Rocketeer works and has been doing a pretty stellar job with Rocketeer Adventures, you know, some of comics' biggest talents, Darwin Cook, um, you know, guys like that. Yeah, doing, John Cassidy. John Cassidy doing yeah. short Rocketeer stories, but this is the first long, you know, miniseries length Rocketeer story since the original Rocketeer miniseries by Dave Stevens, and the creative team announced for it is, oddly enough, the same creative team as uh, Marvel's Daredevil book, Mark Wade and Chris Somney, but this book feels nothing like the Daredevil book. It is totally yeah. different. Yeah, this book is fantastic. I just, I, 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 Really enjoyed the story. I, I like that it's it's more of a long form story than what we've gotten in those uh, prior two Rocketeer volumes that are you know anthology kind of books. Um, I, I I really dug it. I mean, Chris Somney has got such an excellent feel for the character. You know, it's it just it feels like pulp. You exactly. Know? You know, it feels like it feels like a you know exactly what you want out of a Rocketeer story. Yeah, it feels like. Sitting in a movie theater 40 years ago on a Saturday morning. Mm. Not that I'm old enough to know what that feels like, but I imagine that's what it feels like. <laughs> I mean, it feels like one of those old, you know, movie serials. I just, I dug it. I dug mm. it. Yeah, I mean, there's constant cliffhangers, you know, great characterization, just fun all around. And it's it's just a, a really good book. You're not going to put it down and feel like you know, depressed after. It's just fun adventure. You know, I, I would imagine, I would love to see these guys on an Indiana Jones miniseries one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be great, too. 
Yeah, and Mark Wade's got such a good handle on these characters. Uh, I only have one complaint about the book. Which is? Not near enough Betty. Yeah, yeah, she was uh, she was only in it for a couple pages. Yeah, and with all of her clothes on, what the hell is up with that? You know, I think it's a matter of, and I I I, I agree with your complaint, but <laughs> yeah. I have a caveat, and that's that Betty has been, you know, Betty is so all over the Rocketeer books, and if you read Rocketeer Adventures, she's in every Rocketeer Adventure story. Uh-huh. It was nice to get a shift from the typical, oh, Cliff and Betty are having drama. And there was a little bit of that, but, I mean, it wasn't the entire book. Right. Because, you know, Betty, I don't know, she's, you know, you read enough Rocketeer stories and you're like, why is Cliff with her? Because she's kind of a slut. (laughs) That asked and answered. Asked and answered. Good point. Uh, I you know, it's funny. One of my favorite panels is is such a small panel in this book, but it's when you know Cliff is is gearing up to go uh, rescue the plane that's falling out of the sky, mm-hmm. and PV says, "Wait, you'll need this," and he tosses him a uh, pocket knife. Mm-hmm. I just love that panel. Really? Yeah, I do. I, I it really has has stuck with me. I just I I I, I love it. I. And it's just, you know, the the plane is falling out of the sky because a parachute had tumbled out and opened from the plane and wrapped around the propeller. And so, you know, Rocketeer is going to have to fly up there and then cut the the parachute off. And I just just like that little panel. I don't know why. Well, I mean, it's it's just there are a lot of little moments like that. Uh Um, You know, the Rocketeer has a great supporting cast and they introduce a new character, PV's niece to the supporting cast, and she plays a pretty big role in the book, and I think she's pretty interesting. I just, I have nothing bad to say about this book. No, other than there's not enough Betty. Other than there's not enough Betty. You know, and um, this is a book I'm going to buy every issue of. Uh-huh. And then buy it again in hardback. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, this is definitely going to be, it, it's already a beautiful book, but I can, you know, IDW has done some pretty awesome hardcover editions yeah. of uh, the original Rocketeer. Oh, yeah. IDW does some beautiful collections. They've really got a knack for that. The I, the IDW books look fantastic on your shelf. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and maybe I wouldn't have felt, you know, like there there was uh, such a, a shortage of Betty in this book had I gotten the, uh, the Jetpack Comics cover. Oh did yeah! You, did you see the one they did that was with the the Laura Martin cover and it's all Betty? No, I haven't seen that com- that yeah. cover. If you've got the book in front of you, if you flip to the back page. Uh, it's the arts the the arts by Dave Stevens, but the colors are by Laura Martin, and it is it is all Betty on the cover. You're right. Look at that. Yeah. So you know, clearly, I need to be buying my books at Jetpack Comics. Agreed. Just saying. <laughs> Wherever that is. I got cover A, which was by Chris Somney, and it's an awfully nice cover. I, I, I love the cover. It reminds me very much of the cover to uh, uh, Spirit of the Century, you know, yeah. the, the role-playing game. I just, I, I, I love it. I think Rocketeer is a home run. I, I am eager for number two. Yeah, and I believe this is a four-issue miniseries, and uh, I hope it does well, because I, 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 I would love to see more. You know, I don't want to see an ongoing series, but you know, different miniseries by yeah. creative well, teams. But, yeah. And I, I, I think you're right. I think that's the way to do it is, is you know, don't get bogged down in having to meet a monthly release schedule. You know, find the right team and release a limited issue story. Mm-hmm. 
And so. now I'm in the mood to watch the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. So the final book we're talking about this week. Yeah, and you know, uh, a, a book came out this week celebrating the 50th anniversary of Spider-Man. And in celebration of that, we spent six bucks. Yeah. Uh, it's better than 50 uh, bucks. Still bitter about that. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, you, you got yourself some amazing Spider-Man. Yep. Talk to me about that. I was not impressed. I gotta be honest. I, uh... Well, let's 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 take it let's take it in a couple let's take it in a couple steps because there's a couple different stories here, but we're going to talk about the one that debuts Alpha, which is called Point of Origin. Right. And we knew this was coming. This sidekick to Spider-Man. Um. I I think he's awful. <laughs> I think he's absolutely awful. And the reason I think that is because, and I'm going to do a little, it's going to be a little spoiler. Alpha's named Alpha because you know how in comics they'll call Hulk and Phoenix Omega-level threats? Right. Alpha is apparently the first Alpha-level threat. So we've got this all-powerful, you know, ridiculous teenager that's created here. And I'm I'm so not interested in that character. I it just it's all, it's terrible. And I was hoping to see a sidekick that was very much a Batman Robin type type of situation. And I could see why maybe they didn't do it so that you wouldn't draw those same kinds of conclusions. But making this Deus Ex Machina character I'm I'm not in on. I'm not in on it at all. So, um the part I actually liked, and the part which makes me not want to rip this book up, was there's a story that's called Just Right, written by uh, Joshua Fialkoff. Yeah, Fialkoff. Fialkoff. And it's Spider-Man's worst day ever, basically. <laughs> which, you know, we've seen a couple of those, but I I just like I just like the dialogue in, the, in that story. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like the ending. So, um, it was very much hit or miss with me, but considering the dance lot part was the miss, I, this might be my last Spider-Man book for a while. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I do not want to read about Alpha. If it wasn't for uh, the Goblin story coming up, I, I think I would be in the same boat because I'm excited about the Goblin story. I hated every story in this book. I hated Alpha as a base. I hated the character they set up before he got his powers. He was an annoying character that I just wanted to see get beaten up by someone. Then he gets his powers, and he becomes an even more obnoxious, annoying character. I don't buy the whole, uh, this is the first alpha-level threat. You know, when they're comparing to Phoenix and things like that, those are only omega-level threats. I didn't buy any of that. I don't buy, with what we know about Reed Richards, Reed Richards is a guy who realized his son was ridiculously powerful, so he did everything he could to take away his son's powers. Yet, there's no effort here to take this kid's powers away. That I don't buy that at all. I don't buy that he would give give him over to Parker to have Parker, you know, watch over him. But, Parker, really, but Parker discovered Parker particles. 
if this were really an alpha level threat, he would be watching over him himself. I also don't buy with everything we know about Reed Richards that he would discover anything and leave it alone. Because, you know, he says that he discovered alpha or Parker particles years ago, but realized they were too dangerous and left them alone. I don't buy that at all. He would be experimenting with them. Maybe not in public, maybe not come out with it, but he'd still be working with them. Uh, everything about this kid's personality, I dislike the whole, the whole story. The only good thing in this entire book for me was I enjoyed the dinner scene with Mary Jane and Aunt May. Those were the only pages in the entire book that I enjoyed. The uh, the second story I just thought was horrible about a uh, a robber dressing up as Spider Man, uh, and the, for the last one, the one that uh, Tim enjoyed, I I've seen enough of you know Spider Man on his worst day. It wasn't just his worst day; these were rookie mistakes. At this point in his career, he knows better than to make all of these mistakes in the same day. The kid that he ends up helping out. I didn't really see much redeeming in that kid either. Yet the, this kid gets to go meet other other superheroes, gets to uh, you know gets to meet the superheroines who give him kisses on the cheek. I thought that was pretty awesome. It was a pandering moment. I and I love that they pandered to me. I I thought I, I loved that on the on his special day, the the kid gets kissed by uh by by two superheroines. I I, I thought that was great. No, I I was not happy with this book at all, and then I paid, you know, five five ninety nine for this book that I didn't like a single story in and only enjoyed maybe two pages of. No, I wasn't happy at all. But I am excited about Goblin War, so I'm not jumping off the book. Well, what did you think about uh, the Jackal's discovery uh, about particle uh, Parker particles? I my eyes were rolling that they were bringing Jackal in here. I mean, I like Jackal. I like some of his past stories. I don't want to see clones dealing with Alpha. Because if one Alpha isn't obnoxious enough, what about clones of Alpha? Yeah, that... <laughs> so, Paul? Yes? What do you think of Amazing Spider-Man 692? Well, okay, so I have a couple of different opinions of this book. As a 50th anniversary issue... I feel it fails. Um, I feel it fails quite significantly, to be honest with you, because these those last two stories by, you know, by creative teams that you've never heard of. Um, you know, shouldn't we have maybe an art gallery of the top artists of Spider-Man of all time, maybe, you know, or something more seminal for a 50th anniversary issue? That, that that would be my opinion. You know, instead we get just kind of generic backups. You know, stuff that we wouldn't have paid for if it wasn't in this book. Um, you know, so I, I feel like the 50th anniversary issue was a missed opportunity. Not only that, I, I gotta be honest, I didn't care for the office storyline. I, I do trust that Dan Slott is setting up something significant for issue 700. So I know this is probably going to go somewhere I like. But I I feel like I'm not interested in the character right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested enough as a character, and I think that's the point. I do think that the, the character is not meant to be the most likable character in the world. Um, 
I just, I, I, I don't know. The story didn't grab me. I, I, I agree with Wayne. The stuff with Mary Jane, I thought was pretty interesting. I, I thought it was kind of funny that Mary Jane was at the dinner with, uh, you know, Aunt May and uh, Jameson. Mm-hmm. The best line in there was, you know, right around that conversation. Best line that we've had in issues is the, uh, so are they back together? I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was great. I loved that scene. Um, and, and I know Wayne's going to disagree with me, but I thought Umberto Ramos knocked the art out of the park in this issue. I loved the art in this issue, um, and primarily because there are some pages where his Spider-Man looks just like Eric Larson's Spider-Man. And Eric Larson is probably one of my favorite Spider-Man artists of all time. Really? Yeah. But, like, there, there's this two-page spread where Spider-Man and Alpha are stopping criminals, and he's teaching them stuff. And there's, a, and there's like, a, almost a full-page spread of Spider-Man swinging with Alpha under him. And that Spider-Man looks just like an Eric Larson Spider-Man to me. And I, I liked that. I, I liked that. You know, I don't think, I don't know if it was intentional. But, yeah, I, I love Eric Larson Spider-Man. It sounds like you don't. I I just can't imagine that he's anybody's favorite uh, Spider-Man artist. Yes, when you think of the, the the you know rogues gallery of uh, of uh, guys who who've drawn that character. Yeah, he he's definitely one of my favorites. Um, and I think it's because he was drawing Spider-Man around the time that I was really into collecting Spider-Man. Uh, I can know. give you that back when you were a little Paul. When I was a wee Paul. You know, it was you know he took over after Todd McFarlane because I, I really got deep into Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite Spider-Man artists are all from around that time: Sal Buscema, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson. You know, guys like that. Right. But um, so, Aaron, we haven't heard your opinion on this book. Well, I, I don't disagree with with uh, much any of you guys have said. I I, I thought that the Alpha storyline was a little forced. And a little over compressed in time. I mean, the kid doesn't get any time to be a sidekick before he goes off the rails. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, already he's shown that you can't trust him. And if you can't trust him and he's these, this alpha power threat, I think it comes back to what Wayne was saying is why haven't they done something to take his powers away? Uh, um, I, I suspect that Reed Richards has that, you know, rocking around in his mind based on all the scowling he did in this book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, cause, you know, Reed scowled a lot in this book. Oh, yeah. He, he was a scowly McScowerton. He was. He was. Um, but I, I also agree with what you said. That I, I thought Umberto Ramos, you know, nailed the art. I really enjoyed the pages by Umberto Ramos. Um, I'm going to say, I'm, I, what, I, what I would like to share, uh, because not, none of you guys did this, is I would like to share what Marvel did right in this book. It was all fresh content. Now, it wasn't all content that I was necessarily interested in or that I would have sought to purchase. Um, I, I, I would like for the comic book companies to have their $5.99 issues when the content warrants it. You know, yeah. I, 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 this book should have been a $3.99 book and we should have just gotten the alpha story. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will agree with you there, and I. I am glad they didn't do reprints. I'm glad it was all new material. Mm-hmm. It's a step in the right direction. Now, if only they could get the concept of doing all brand new material that's good. Right. That would be the next step in the right direction. No, and uh, as for all the art, as for all the art comments, so, you know, I. I wouldn't say Eric Larson's my favorite Spider-Man artist, but I do think he's far more talented than Umberto Ramos. 
I did used to enjoy his art. And I know what I don't like about Ramos. He does a lot of angles. I like smooth, curved art in Spider-Man. I want nice, curved uh, drawings. I don't want, you know, sharp, pointed lines. And that's what Ramos does. And that's why I don't like his art. I can at least pinpoint... You know, some artists you kind of look at it as like, this isn't quite right for me. I know what I don't like about him, and it's I don't like the pointed lines. I want smooth, crisp curves. Yeah, I, uh, I, I am upset that I spent five ninety nine on this book. Correct. You know, I, yeah. I think it wasn't worth six bucks. Well, I agree that it is entirely new content. I don't agree that the content was worth six bucks. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and again, I, I feel it's a shame that you have a 50th anniversary issue, and your backups are done by people who aren't known for doing Spider-Man. Yeah, you know why not? A, I know Stanley sucks writing nowadays, <laughs> but you know why not a Stanley written backup? Yeah, you know why not? Something? Why not have Quesada do the art on one of the backups? I mean, you know, I've I have uh, trashed Quesada in the past, and I'm not a fan of his you know directions at all. But he's a good artist. Yeah. I would love to see him draw one of the backup stories here. And there's a reason for it. He is associated with Spider-Man in a lot of people's eyes, and it would have made more sense than either of the right either of the artist teams in the back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I know you're not going to get Larson or McFarlane, but you know, you can get Mark Bagley. Mark Bagley drew over 100 issues of Spider-Man. Um, you know, you have artists in your stable who are known for being Spider-Man artists, John Romita Jr., you know, who who could do a pinup or something. You know, a series of pinups by the greatest Spider-Man artists of all time. Did, did you just mention John Romita Jr.? John Romita Jr., some of his best work was on Amazing Spider-Man. Well, I, I agree, and I didn't, corner, Paul. I didn't mind the Fred Van Lente, John Romita Jr. page that was in this book. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that it <laughs> it was written by Fred Van Lente. Yeah, and it was a restating of the origin. Yeah, almost <laughs> word for word. Yeah, it kind of cracked me up too. But um, no, I, 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 I have faith that Dan Slott will make this storyline interesting. It's not there yet, and I will say if um, if the storyline doesn't get better, then yeah, maybe maybe I need to reconsider it, Spider Man, because I, you know. It's been hit and miss a little bit lately. I didn't love the no-turning-back storyline. Um, but I, I, I do have faith that Dan Slott can turn around, because he's done some great stuff. Sure. But, you know, it, it, to a certain extent, the, the bi-weekly release schedule is helping this book for me, because the book comes out too often for me. You know, like, if you have six months of a book that sucks, you're out. Right. But here, if it's four, three, four bad issues, you know, it's still only like a month or two. Right. Of bad issues. So, you know, turn it around, Don Slot. We have faith in you. Get your shit together. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Clean yourself up. <laughs> so, I was going to say something and I forgot it. Oh, yes. Free comics. Free comics. Free comics. What are you, ta- what are you talking about, Willis? What are you talking about, Willis? Um, on Comixology, 
and I don't know if this is an ongoing thing, but it appears to be, there has been a price drop on um, image first issues. And what they were have, you talking about price drop? Whether they do knock a quarter off of it? I mean, come on, Paul. No, not not a quarter, not a dollar off. They're not ninety nine cent books. These are free first issues from Image Comics, um, books that I think have started like within the last year. Um, so you get books like Fatal Number One, Peter Panzerfaust Number One, Saga Number One, Manhattan Projects, America's Got Powers, Secret Danger Club. Mind the Gap, Grim Leaper. I mean, all for free. Free? I don't know if you guys realize that there's always been a lot of free content on Comixology, but now, since they seem to have updated it, there's actually a category for looking at it on there. Mm -hmm. Before, you'd have to sort and sort by price to find it, and they've made it ridiculously easy to find the free stuff, and they're adding new free stuff, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it, and the, these are some great books, and you know, for free, you can't beat free. Um, no, you can, but it requires them paying you to read their. Books. Yeah, here, you, uh, we will pay you <laughs> to read America's Got Powers number one. But I mean, some of these books are only you know issue two and three in, like America's Got right. Powers, Secret. So you can get caught up, you know, for I, for nothing. I really do agree with this marketing strategy because Image is printing some fantastic books right now. Mm-hmm. And I love that they're giving away issue ones. You, you, the first taste is free. I uh, I mean, they, they, they are selling their comics as if they are teens of methamphetamines. You know, <laughs> I love it. Atomic <laughs> Robo number one is free, but only the Spanish edition. Yeah, but only in Spanish. <laughs> but, uh... Yo soy Atomic Robo. Um... But Saga and Danger Club, those are some of the strongest debut issues in the last year of any book from any company. Um, so, you know, pick those up. I mean, for free. Just, ah. I, I actually went ahead and, because and, uh, I only had Danger Club from uh, the press copy right. that Image sent us. And so I went ahead and, you know, got my Danger Club from Comixology so I could look at the guided view and really kind of focus on some of that great art. Sure. You know, Paul, there's a uh, free number one issue of a title called Secret Skull. I think you need to pick that up to see if you're going to have to sue somebody. I have read Secret Skull, actually. It's uh, written by Steve Niles. Luckily, there is no suing necessary. Okay. He's more of a pulp-themed character that... uh, He's not dead, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of like other, other books on there as I look through it. Things like uh, Justice League Task Force. There's a huge run of it, so they threw in the first issue of it for free. Uh, Justice Society of America. They threw in the first issue free. So as you kind of go through some of the free stuff, there's a lot of DC stuff in here, too, that you know they have huge runs of them available, and they give you the first issue to get you hooked. The first one's free. Hmm. Well, I love it. I approve. I, I agree. So next week, I have a question for you guys. Oh, here we go. I always have a question, <laughs> don't I? Is anybody picking up Avenging Spider-Man number 11? It's mentioned in this week's Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I saw that. I uh, I don't care for Avenging Spider-Man. Yeah, but it's written by Zeb Wells. Yeah. I, and uh, art by Stefano Caselli. God damn it, Paul. You know, I, I, no, 
I'm putting my foot down. No. 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 Maybe. No. I'm going to flip through it since uh, <laughs> Aunt May stuff was the, the best part of this issue. I think so, the best maybe. thing I could do for Wayne is to stab him. I think that's what I, I think that is the only way to stop this. All right, Aaron, Flipping I'll, through doesn't mean I'll buy it. I flip uh-huh. through a lot of things on the shelf and put it back. I mean, there are some really good books coming out next week. I mean, I don't know if that's one of them, but Lock and Key, Grindhouse One Shot comes out. I know I'll be picking that one up. I'll be the only one. Yes. Um, uh-huh. Batman Beyond Unlimited, number seven. I know we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but that book is awesome. And uh, this issue has uh, Batman Beyond and the Justice League Beyond fighting on Apocalypse. Um, and Batman Beyond now has a cape, so his costume's even cooler. Good There's stuff. a couple of annuals coming out next week from DC, too. Yeah, Green Lantern comes out. Yeah, no pass. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about the Darkness Rebirth storyline by David Hine and Jeremy Hahn. And the, uh, the first trade paperback comes out next week for nine ninety nine. So that's a, I think that's a pretty good deal. And hey, prophecy number three. So I think we'll have plenty to talk about next week. Danger Club four. Ooh, really? Sweet. Mm-hmm. And Minutemen number three before Watchmen. And of course, Justice League number twelve featuring Wonder Woman and Superman getting it on. Yeah, Hypernaturals, Grim Leaper. I'm excited for next week. I'm gonna spend a fortune. Okay, because- so Paul, you're picking up JL twelve. Yes, I am definitely picking up JL-12. And Wayne, you're picking up JL-12. Yep. All right. You guys are going to have to talk it out, because I am not. Hey, Aaron? Sir? Are you picking up uh, Avenging Spider-Man number 11? No. <laughs> God. But what in my head already. <laughs> you're picking up Avenging Spider-Man. But Steven Kinsella is doing the art. Stop it. You mean, you have to get it for the art, right? Ah! Yeah, I'll make you a deal. If you pick up Avenging Spider-Man number 11, I will buy you a copy of Lock and Key Grindhouse so you can read that with me, too. No. It's so good. Here, here I thought you were going to make him a deal that you wouldn't make any mob jokes about it. I don't make mob jokes about Aaron anyway. That was the point. It it would be pointless. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, good show, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Bye. Talk to you next week. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.